Welcome to the Grace Baptist Church podcast, and thanks for joining us for this episode. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoy this content, please don't hesitate to leave us a five-star review and share this podcast with your friends. We'd like to extend an invitation to you and your family to join us for worship this week at Grace Baptist Church. We'd also love to connect with you online at gracekettering.org. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode. All right, well, very good evening to everybody. It's really lovely to be back here. It was actually, yeah, just over five years ago um, that our whole family was here. And we had the same number, but everybody was smaller. And we actually um, were here uh, just after coming um, off the foreign mission field. We spent 23 years as missionaries in Fiji and um, around the South Pacific, and then came back to pastor my home church in Wenatchee, Washington. And did that for five years, and then just as of July this year, um, and when I say we've gone back into missions, we never actually stopped doing it. My function changed for a little while. Um, I, I did it while pastoring, and I, I just a little, little background, a little story. When I, my church was 41 years old, Apple Valley Baptist Church, 41 years old, when I came back to become its pastor. In that 41 years, our, I was the only missionary ever sent out of our church. Um, we never planted, our church in Wenatchee never planted another church in another city, in another community, never sent out another missionary. Now my pastor was a soul winner. He believed in winning souls. He believed in reaching the community. So it wasn't that we didn't have a heart and a desire to win souls. It's just that we, the church as a family, as a body, I don't think ever really saw its responsibility outside of our local community. When I came back and became the pastor in November of 2018, we were a small handful, I about 25 people um, in the church and one really good family moved just shortly after we got there. So um, we had no building. Um, the, the church had sold its building about 10 years earlier. Um, it was a debt-free building, fully paid for, fully owned, but the church had gotten so small and the building was so old, they, they couldn't afford to pay the heat through the, the winter. So they sold it with the idea that they would locate another piece of land and maybe buy something smaller. That never happened. And by the time I became the pastor, um, there was no money left in the building fund. And it had just been kind of floating the church for the, you know, the next several years. So really, practically, um, we had four families and no building. We were meeting in a little community center in a, uh, a town outside of Wenatchee. So it, it wasn't really a church plant, but it kind of, in a sense, was, you know, kind of like starting over from scratch. And when I came to pastor that small group, 
I told them our goal is going to be to reach the entire world. Like we're going to we're going to reach the whole world. Our church is going to reach the whole world. We're going to we're going to evangelize, you know, all the corners of the globe. And I remember when I said it, they all kind of looked at me like, I mean, what is wrong with you? I mean, um, I also told them, I said, I need you to know that you've asked a missionary to become your pastor. So this isn't going to look like normal pastoring. And what I meant by that was um, I won't be here 50 out of 52 weeks of the year. I expect over time to teach and train our church, and then we're going to go all around the world, and I'll kind of lead teams out of our, our church. So I'll be gone a lot, which means I need more men to preach and, and teach so that we can do it. And they still kind of looked at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And so the first two years, we, we moved slow. Our church grew a little bit, and, and then we began. Now, we, we, when I, by the time I left in July, we still had no building. No building. There was no building at all. We, we would meet in community centers. We met in schools. We, it, sometimes during the summer, when we couldn't get a building, we would meet in parks. Like six weeks, we met in uh, parks, and we'd pick a different park. And I thought, well, what a great way to get in our community. Let's just take church to where people are. And by the time I left, we still had no building. And we would often talk about um, a building and I would say, why? Like, why do you want a building? Um, well, because you have to have a building to be a church. And we all know that's not true, don't we? Like, we, we know in our heart that the church is not a building. It's not wrong to have a building. But I said, it seems to me in 41 years, our church has done very little, little to accomplish the Great Commission. So I don't think we deserve a building. Like, I think we should, like, do the Great Commission. And then if God is pleased with the work we do... Let him give us a building because I couldn't fathom how much money we would have to save in order to buy a building when we could just keep renting and moving around from place to place because I felt like we, we would rob the Great Commission in order to, you know, to get a building. So we still don't have a building there till this day. But the last three years that I was there, God began to slowly open doors for us to start going to different parts of the world. And in that last probably three years that I was pastoring, um, our church did 13 different missions journeys to different parts of the world. Um, we, we, went, we took a team down to a polygamist village in outside of Salt Lake City to evangelize. We went to remote Alaskan villages. We went to Guadalajara, Mexico. We went to Fiji, we went to India. We went to uh, seven different trips to Zambia, two trips to Sierra Leone, and we just started taking, and, and by the way, all of this mission work that was done was just done by average, normal church members. This wasn't done by the, the SEAL team missionaries, you know, of the church. This wasn't done with the, uh, the ordained class. This wasn't done with the, our, our Bible college graduates. This, this work was all done by ordinary Joe Blows sitting in the pews of our churches. And that's really the heart of what I want to convince you of this week. I want to talk to you very personally about engaging in the Great Commission in a very 
real way and taking the responsibility that I believe that God has placed on every church. And I'm going to be I'm going to be saying things about your church that I think are biblical things for you to do. Now, I think God had me come back and pastor for five years so that I could say things that we also did and practiced. You know, because it's one thing if you're not a football player, right? You're not a football player. You've never played a day in your life. But when you're watching it on TV, you'd think you are the best coach in the whole world. Like all the advice you've given, but you're like you've never even held a football before. So in, in one regards, I'm a missionary and God has changed my view and perspective about how to do missions, but I was a missionary. So I'm the right guy to critique my own field and my own class of work, if you will. But for me to say to churches what I think are biblical for churches to do you know, I've had people say to me before, look, you're a missionary and that works in Africa or that works in the islands, but that doesn't work here. So I think God made me do it here for a while. Not that we conquered the whole world, but we got a good start on it. And if you will allow this to happen over these next couple of days, would you just allow yourself to be made a little bit uncomfortable? I mean, we're in the Western world. We're all about comfort. We spend gobs of money on making everything we do more comfortable and easier. Jesus said, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall, do you know the rest of that? Suffer persecution. How many of you just like, man, I just can't wait to be godly because I've been hoping to suffer persecution. Right? But it, it is the hallmark of biblical Christianity that there is a measure of suffering persecution that happens. But there's other hallmarks of Christianity as well. Like when uh, Paul and his team, you know, got to one city, they said, oh, they that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. I mean, when's the last time any heathen people ever said about any of our churches, they're turning the world upside down? Like, well, we're not turning the world upside down. We're not even affecting the world. In, in fact, it's interesting, before COVID, I just made a comment in passing one time. I said, you know, if every church in America shut down, I don't think it would matter at all in our culture. Because I don't, I don't think that we really make that big of a difference that if we were suddenly off the scene, I don't think it would affect our culture. I don't think we're light and salt. And you know, COVID came and we all stopped having church and we stopped all the ministries that we were doing in the community. And you know what? Not much changed in our culture, just, and, you know. So what I'm saying to you is why are we here and what are we doing? Amen. Like why, why do we exist? Why are we here? What's the purpose of this assembly? What's the purpose of this church? Why are we doing what we are doing? And the Bible says the eyes of the Lord go to and fro in all the world. And what's God looking for? He's looking for someone that he can show himself strong on their behalf. None of us are strong. None of us have strength. If, if you look at anybody around the world and you say, wow, there's some amazing things happening in that ministry and something's happening great with that man, just know that there are no real strong men. There are no real great men of God at all. There's just a strong and powerful God. Amen. And a strong and powerful God wants to show himself strong, but he has chosen to show himself strong through his people, Amen. through his church. Yes, 
So if the church won't do what God has asked them to do, then the world doesn't see the strength of God. Do you understand that? That's why you are important to God. So with that, can you go to Matthew 28? And we're going to take a, a few verses that are so overused. I, I remember when God called me to be a missionary, I said, I will never start a missions conference sermon with Matthew 28. You know why? How many of you in here have been to a missions conference and heard a missionary and they started with Matthew 28 or Mark 16 or Acts 1-8 or Matthew... Anybody with me? Yeah, right. Over, overused. However, we're going to go to Matthew 28. Because I think if we actually paid very close attention to words that are said and understood the verse and applied it, things would look very different than they do right now. Matthew 28, verse number 18. And Jesus came and spake unto them. Okay, let's start for a moment with them. Who is them in Matthew 28, 18? Anyone give it a shot? Who's the them there? The, the 11, the 11 disciples. Okay, are they alive or dead today? Today they're dead. They, they were alive for a few years, and then they're dead. So what's interesting is that this great commission, where he came and spake unto them, the Mormons believe that the great commission died when the apostles died because it was given to them. And then not until Joseph Smith came to, as the, to, to reawaken or whatever the, the church, then the Great Commission was on again, but that there was no gospel during all those ages. So it's interesting, when Jesus spoke to the eleven, was he speaking to them as unto eleven individual men? Well, that can't be, because if that's the case, then we have no Great Commission today. But the Bible tells us that the apostles were the foundation of the church, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he took them into a mountain to a place he had appointed, and they were assembled together. So when they were assembled together with the Lord Jesus on that moment, you are looking at the foundation there of the church, the church that's at Jerusalem. So we could say that this verse written to those 11 was written to the church, and if I'm not mistaken, this is a church. Amen. Right? Church. You're a church. Amen. If you're saved, and if you're baptized, and if you've been added to this assembly, then this verse is written to this church. Amen. And who is the church? Right. So then this is written to who? Yeah, it's written to you collectively, and it's to you personally. This is to you. Now, God doesn't expect you to do this without being connected to your body, the church. But the church is you. The church is not your pastor. The church is not deacons. The church is not the building. The church is not your constitution and bylaws. The church is you. You people right here, the church, this is you. So let's put you here. This is being spoken to you. He came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. 
Now this is very important because what he's about to tell you to do is because he has all power in heaven and in earth. And as, as you may already know this, I'm sure, but there are a couple different Greek words translated power in the New Testament, and they're very important. The Greek word here is exousia. And it's kind of, if you think exousia, it might remind you of executive. The, the idea here is of an executive power or an authority. Right? So we have a president today who is the highest executive power in our country. So there's a lot that our president can do with just his pen. Would you agree with that? Like some things he can do with his pen. He's the head of the federal government. Like there's powerful things. That's why they call the president of the United States the most powerful position, the most powerful man on earth. So he's way more powerful than I am when it comes to his authority. But how many of you think I could beat him in an arm wrestling match? Yeah, thank you. One vote. I, I appreciate that. All right. so, so there's an authority. Now Jesus said this. He said, all power is given to me in heaven and in earth. So he talks about two realms of power or two realms of authority. He speaks about a Heaven, that's a spiritual realm, and he talks about earth, and that's the natural realm. The natural realm and the spiritual realm. On earth, we're talking about the power of man. Man has power. Man has authority. Um, where there are kings and there's governors and there's uh, uh, militaries, we've got earthly powers, but there's also spiritual powers. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers the rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, that authority that he talks about, he says whatever authority exists in earth and whatever authority exists in heaven, Jesus said, all power is given unto me. Right? So he's not subject to anybody else. All power on earth is subject to him. And then he comes in verse 19 and says, go ye Therefore, because the authority in heaven and earth is given to me, I'm now commissioning you to go. Um, does anybody have any difficulty understanding the word go? How many of you think that could possibly mean don't go? How many of you think the word go means stay? That's what I thought. Go ye. Who is ye? The church is. And the church is who? Yeah, that's, that's you. Go, go, you're going to go us, but you're going to go me. Now, th this is very important uh, to, to wonder whether or not you were included in the people responsible to go. Go ye therefore and teach. Who is supposed to teach? Mm, the ye. Oh, see, you thought you didn't have to teach because you're not a pastor and you're not a missionary and you're not an evangelist and you're not gifted. But the Lord did not say, go ye gifted. Amen. There is a gift of teaching, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Teaching is a gift. Right. And typically those who are gifted by God to, uh, as teachers usually have some um, level of authority 
they're, they're put in leadership, I think is a better word, within God's church because God's going to use them to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry, right? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Like they're given to perfect the saints for the work of the ministry. Um, but just because you're not gifted to teach doesn't mean you're not supposed to teach. In Romans 12, there's a whole lot of gifts there. Did you know that giving is a gift? How many of you knew that giving is a gift? I mean, when's the last time you heard your pastor say, only those with the gift of giving should give when the offering plate comes by? All of those, it's not your gift, don't do it. You know, when someone has the gift of giving, most likely they are in that rare group of people that just everything they do works when it comes to money. They just, they have a mind, they can sniff money, they can make money, and God gifts them to make it and to give it. Because that's their gift. Some people have the gift of mercy. They're, they're just by nature made by God to be more merciful than others. But believe me, you need to show mercy as well, even if it's not your gifting. All right, so go you therefore and teach. So I just want you to know that if you are a member of this church, it is the will of God that you teach. And I wonder what you're supposed to be able to teach. Go ye therefore and teach, first of all is the who, all nations. How many nations are there in the world? That's how many countries there are. Are there different nations or nationalities together within countries? Yes. Like, I might call it the Navajo Nation. Is, is a nation, it's a people group. But you're right, thank you. That's the first time anybody's answered that question so fast in any church I've been in. Uh, every people group on earth, um, um, oh, come on, joshuaproject.net is a, 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 a group that is categorizing all the different people groups on the earth. And according to them, there's over six and a half thousand people groups on the earth today that have not been reached with the gospel. Because that, that would be a nation. Uh, you, you might go in northern China, for example, to the Uyghur people, kind of a Muslim people in communist China. And right, they're, they're a vicious people. The, the Chinese government doesn't like them. They don't like them. They're not really a nice people to go to. You know, probably aren't going to roll out the red carpet and thank you for coming with the gospel. However, that's a nation that must be reached. Um, if, if you're going up Mount Everest, uh, if you're one of those people that does those type of things, but you're climbing up that mountain, there is a, a people group on the side of the mountain called Sherpa. And the Sherpa are a distinct people group that live on that mountain. I wonder if anybody's taken the gospel to them. Would they be included in Teach All Nations? No. Yes, all nations. So this gospel that our Lord has, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the will of God that the church preaches the gospel to every nation. That's God's will. Do you know why? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That means God loves the entire world. And believe me, all means all, right? It's not a limited group of people that God loves. He loves the entire world, and He won't save them without the preaching of the gospel. God has chosen 
the preaching of the gospel to save those that would believe. And every one of you here today that is saved, the reason you're saved, because at some point, either by one person or maybe one sowed, one watered, one encouraged, but there were human beings involved in explaining the gospel to you. If you don't know what the gospel is, then you're not saved. And if you know the gospel, you already know what to say to people who don't know the gospel. You say, I wouldn't know what to say to somebody. How can you not know what to say to somebody if you're saved? Because salvation is not something you get tricked into. Right. It's not something you stumble into. It's something that's absolutely clear. Okay, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, and teaching them to observe what? All things whatsoever I've commanded you. Do you know all things whatsoever the Lord has commanded you? You're supposed to. You're supposed to know all things that the Lord has commanded you well enough to teach it to every other human being on earth. Go ye therefore. Um, now, the nations of the world are against us. Uh, pretty much most of the world, uh, although there are times when there are parts of the world that are very open, and I can tell you there are some open parts of the world today. But most of the time in the world, the, the, the governments of the world have a big sign that says, do not enter, right? You remember what happened to Paul when he went into one city and they stoned him to death and left his body laying outside the city and they all went away thinking he was dead and God raised him from the dead. And what did God say? Go back inside the city and preach again. Right. Do you think giving you the death penalty for preaching the gospel is a big do not enter sign? Yeah, when they, Peter and John were at Jerusalem and they commanded them, don't, don't make mention of this name anymore. And they went out and did it. And then they arrested them the second time and they said, did we not straightly threaten you not to teach or preach in his name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. Right? Study the book of Acts. Go from city to city to city to city and tell me which one rolled out the red carpet for the missionaries. Right. Not many. But God said, their, their laws against evangelism don't matter. Now, again, it, it matters how you enter a country. Sometimes you have to be um, creative in how you enter a country. If a lot of places in Africa, like if you pop into Zambia, you go through immigration and they say, why are you here? And you say, I came to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, they want to give you a hug, ask you for a Bible. They'd, they'd stop the immigration line for you to share the gospel to them. Don't say that when you go to India. Or don't say that when you fly into Pakistan, right? You've got to be a little bit creative. Now, Mark 16 expands on this. In Mark 16, 15, this is really important. Mark 16, 15, you say, we've already been to all these verses. I know, but, but don't they mean something different when you kind of like Amen. dig the little words there? Amen. Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye, plural. Wow, here we are again at that, go ye. Uh, verse 14 said he appeared to the 11, so he's still speaking to his church. Go ye into how much of the world? all the world, and preach the gospel to who? Every creature. Ah, so that doesn't mean if you get a map on the back of your church and you've got a missionary in a country with a flag there, that doesn't mean the gospel's getting preached to every creature. That would be like America wasn't Christian and some country sent a missionary to America. Come on. Every creature. 
So what is God's responsibility to this church? This church, are you a church? Okay, so don't for a moment get these Great Commission verses and say they belong to somebody else. You can't do that. You can't think that somewhere out there, there is a, another church that's a lot bigger with more money and something. Maybe they've got a Bible college with them or maybe they've got a mission board with them that maybe that church there is responsible for the Great Commission. Um, Bible colleges are not getting the job done. I think it, Don Sisk, we were looking at that quote that last year, collectively, the, the independent Baptist Bible colleges in America, do you know what percent of their graduates went out to become foreign missionaries? About two and a half percent? Two percent. Okay, do you want to know why two percent of Bible college graduates are going to the mission field? Bible colleges, where do the students come from? They come from churches. So that is just a reflection on the heart of the churches. And I would say that's just about right. In fact, according to Pew Research, in 2014, they said 3.5% of the adults in the United States of America identify as independent Baptist. That's about 6.5 million. That's not including teenagers. That's 18 and up. 6.5 million. Do you know how many missionaries the independent Baptist world in America has right now? Nobody knows for sure, because we don't all report our numbers to a central agency. But guys who have done their best to count it out say any, probably right now about 5,500. And since that's husband-wife couples, let's make that 11,000. 11,000. So if we have 6.5 million adult members and we have 11,000 of them as foreign missionaries, what's that percentage? One half of one half percent. Not even half a percent of our churches send their people to obey the Great Commission. This idea that we have to go to every nation and preach the gospel to every creature, our collective as independent Baptists, our collective contribution to that is one half of one half a percent of our collective membership. We have abdicated our responsibility thinking that somebody else will do it. Now, there's one area that I think independent Baptists generally do well when it comes to missions, and that is in giving. Well, one, it takes a lot of money to get the job done, right? So if you go to a missions conference in an independent Baptist church, and you've probably had some here, if you've, if you've ever been around other churches, you've had some, what is the primary goal in every missions conference? We're going to get these faith promise cards and our hope is that we give a little bit more than we did the last year so that we can take on another missionary. And, and maybe, maybe by some miracle of God, God might impress somebody's heart to become a missionary. Um, I think I'm right about this statistic. This is, this is not a scientific statistic, but from my own observations, I think only one out of every 10 independent Baptist churches has a missionary. 
And it might even be less than that because when you start looking at the, the numbers, you know, we, we have numbers between, between uh, 10 to 14,000 independent Baptist churches in America. Like that's 14,000 is like the top number. And we have five and a half thousand missionaries, families out of 15,000 churches. That, that would sound like it's one to three, like one out of three churches. But here's what I've also found. If a church gets the mission spirit correct, they tend to send out multiple families out of their church. Um, uh, there's a church up in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. During the years, they've, they've sent out over 80 families out of their church into foreign missionary work. You know, 80 families is, how could you give up that many of your families and still even be a church, right? Um, so I think probably 9 out of 10 don't ever send anyone. I was the only one sent out of my church in 41 years, and it was not by design. It wasn't that our church designed we need to raise up missionaries for the world. God did it in spite of our church, not because of it. And sometimes God will just come into your church and swipe. God will look at an individual, and God will just say, I'm going to do the, the work. And, and my church's contribution for the first five years that I was in Fiji was $50 a month. So, I mean, that's how mission-minded they got behind the work we were doing was $50 a month. Now, now go to Luke 24 and verse number 49. Luke chapter 24 and verse number 49. Are we all still breathing? Okay, good. Thank you. Luke chapter 24, verse number 49. Uh, let's go back a bit. 47. Ah, uh, start, you know, these long sentences. 46. And he said unto them, Thus it was written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among who? All nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Now this is interesting, because in the other Gospels, especially Matthew, he starts off with the declaration, all power is given to me, go ye therefore. But then here, when he again repeats the going to all nations, he says, but wait in Jerusalem. I'm sending the promise of my Father, and we know that's the Holy Ghost. And he said, when that promise comes, you will be endued with power from on high. So didn't he already say he had all power? Uh, different Greek word. The Greek word power here is dunamis, dunamis. And dunamis, if, uh, the only way I remember it, I think of dynamite. That's not what it means. But, you know, exousia, I think of executive. Dunamis, I think of dynamite. That's my word place. One is like an authority. One is an ability. So when we talk about dunamis, we're talking about the strength of God. We're talking about the ability of God. We're talking about the power of God. Now, how much strength do you have? Oh, you don't have any. Your own strength, like your own physical strength, your mental strength, your emotional strength is useless in the work of God. It doesn't actually get anything done. 
I mean, I know guys that are giving all of their physical strength and their mental strength to the task at hand, but that doesn't mean God's doing anything. He said, what I'm going to send you to do requires more than your own power and your own ability. So when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to wait. Jesus said, I'm ascending back to my Father, and then when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then when the promise of my Father comes, you're going to be endued with power. Now, Acts 1.8 tells us what the endowment of that power was for. So look at Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power. Again, that's dunamis. Ye shall receive power. And truly, brothers and sisters, it is supernatural power. Amen. It's supernatural power. Now, today, whenever you talk about supernatural power, you think about the blind eyes being opened or a lame man walking again. But when he talked about the supernatural power, although it does those things also, that's not primarily what that power was for. He said, ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Who will be? Who will be? Ye. Ye. Who's the ye? That's the you. Every, every, every eyeball that's sitting in a beautiful padded pew in the United States of America, that's who he's talking about, you. And, by the way, if you are born again, you have already been endued with this power. You're already indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. This is not something you get subsequent to your salvation. The moment you are born again, you're born of the Spirit, you're indwelt by the Spirit, you're sealed by the Spirit. So whether you've ever actually experienced the working of this power, it's not because you don't have it. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you for what purpose? What's the purpose of the power? And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Both in, where does it start? Remember what Luke said in 24? It says beginning at Jerusalem. And it ends up where? At all nations. Both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to where? The uttermost parts of the earth. So this is what the power of God does with ordinary people. My power will come upon you and will enable you to accomplish what I have called you to do. That's why 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. See, when I think about me, myself, I'm intimidated by people. Now, I'm not intimidated by you because this is a friendly crowd. Like you go to church, and most of the people in church love Jesus, love the Bible, and they want preaching. But it's different when you go out to the lost people of the world, especially when you go to where you're not invited. Like, I've been doing this for 
almost 30 years, and you'd think by now that I wouldn't be intimidated anymore, that like my, my flesh would have buffed up a little bit and been able to take it. But I'll tell you what, every single time someone looks at me with that contorted face when I talk about the Lord, my, my flesh just cringes. Because at my heart, I want people to like me. I want people to be happy with me. I'm a man pleaser. And that's why if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Ghost, you wouldn't catch me ever being a witness. Because that's not me. I want people to be saved. I just don't want to be rejected while I'm talking to them. Right? And I have a feeling, except for a few really weird people who seem to not care, most of us care, and that's why we have to keep going to God in order to do it. But why, why is it that a kid, myself, saved at 16, in Wenatchee with no prior Bible background, no gospel background. I'd had a little bit of a church background, Lutheran, a little Presbyterian, but I'd never heard the gospel. I'd never read the Bible. When I got saved at 16, really a month shy of my 17th birthday, it was like being saved from scratch. How is it possible three years later to be in a foreign country evangelizing the gospel? Like, that's not me. But I'm not special. But I did find something about this power. Let me tell you something about God. If God says, I have power available, but the purpose of my power is so that you will carry my gospel to the entire world, and my power is going to make that happen. I'm, I'm going I'm to call you to do things outside of your ability. Have you, read, have you ever read in Ephesians where it says, now unto him that is able to do, help me with it, exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think. This is a statement God makes. You think about what God can do. You imagine what God can do. And God says, what I can actually do is exceeding abundantly above all that you could ask or think. And then it says, now unto him be glory in the church. Um, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. That's the dunamis. So God, when he does great and mighty and wonderful things, he's not doing great and mighty and wonderful things for you to sit back as an observer and as a spectator and go, wow, God, that is amazing. No, this is the power that works in you. And when God's power works in you, it kind of shocks you too. Right. And like it amazes you too. Because you can't picture yourself doing what God is using you to do. You're like, I could never do this. This is so out of my ability. This is out of my league. This is out of my comfort zone. And yet God is using me to do it. And that's where the testimony comes. If you ever want to have an awkward moment in a New Testament, independent, fundamental Baptist church, just ask for testimonies. Let's all testify. Now, we testify, and it's always some person helps cut the silence. Pastor, I want to thank God. I just woke up this morning, and the sun came up. And I'm just so blessed that the sun came up. Amen. Amen. Isn't God good? The sun came You understand what I'm saying? Um, I prayed for a job, and God gave me a job. Hey, praise, praise God. But did you know lost people get jobs, too? I'm not belittling praying for a job. 
But, I, but, I, but I'm telling you, most of our prayer meetings in churches are pray for Aunt Susie's pinky toe that she stubbed on a chair the other day. I'm hoping that it heals and that it gets better. And then, and then pray for my cousin, you know, she hates Jesus, doesn't know the Lord, but you know what, she's got an operation coming up and I'm praying that it goes well. I mean, scour the New Testament for the prayers. Go look what Paul prayed for. Go read all the prayers in the New Testament and the prayers in the New Testament are almost never for health or jobs or anything else. Paul would say, pray for us that God would open a door of utterance for us to speak the gospel. Pray that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for, not, for all men don't have faith. Almost every prayer that you see recorded in the New Testament has something to do with a people wanting to get the gospel where it needs to go. Amen. And it wasn't just pray for a name of someone to get saved. Pray for me. I'm going there this week to share the gospel. Pray that God will open their eyes as I share the gospel with them. Amen. You understand? So my, my point is that this power that God gives was not for you to observe in some external way. It was for you to experience. But let's say you're not going to do that. Let's say the truth is that you don't really intend to live out this great commission like you're not really a witness. You know, sure, you're not a witness in Africa. You're not a witness in India. But most people aren't even a witness anywhere. Okay? So now let's, let's say you're just, you're just not going to be a witness. Now, you would never say that. You would never admit that because that would be ungodly. But let's just say if God ever puts a fish in my boat... I'll clean it, you know, but I'm not, I'm not hunting for it. Okay. Do you know what sanctification is? Sanctification is the process. So the moment you're saved, positionally, your sins are all forgiven, and you are absolutely righteous in the presence of God. That's the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. But God also gave himself to deliver you from this present evil world. Like God gave himself to deliver you also from the power of sin in a very practical way. So as God is delivering you from the bondage of sin in your own life, he's sanctifying you. He's giving you like personal holiness and liberty and victory over sin and darkness. But why does he sanctify you? Timothy says that he sanctifies us so that we might be meat for the master's use. God sanctifies, which is the process of setting you apart for his use. And the use that God wants you to do is this great commission. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, preach the gospel to every creature, and then teach them all things whatsoever I have commanded you. That's what I want you to do. That's the use. If you're not going to do that, then what would be the point of God sanctifying you? There, there would be no point to sanctifying you if you're not going to be used for the master's use. So this is just my own little theory here. I look at all kinds of Christians that just never seem to be able to appropriate the power of God in their own life. 
that they are a perpetual slave to their old nature. And it seems like those tentacles of sin never really drop off of them. And I'm like, well, why would God empower you and give you this powerful body to go do what you want to do? And can I just step on some holy toes? Pastors in our generation have had to come to grips with the average person in our churches will never do this. So what we've ended up doing is creating ministries for people so that they can feel like they are of use to God. I have a ministry. Now, don't take this the wrong way. Because I thank God for people who do nitty-gritty work for God's church. Whether that's cutting a lawn, whether that's vacuuming and cleaning up the church, whether that's being a security guard in the parking lot, or whether that's being a greeter at the front door, or printing off the bulletins, or making all the announcements, or getting the coffee. Thank the Lord for whoever makes the coffee in church for every service. Like, you are a wonderful person. Please, no Folgers. Please go for, like, you know, rifle cards. Anyway, um, thank you. But none of that is the ministry. That is an act of service that is very much appreciated. But don't think for a minute, because you're a greeter at the church, giving a warm welcome to those who come through the door, or that you show up at 8 o'clock in the morning and vacuum all the carpet, don't think for a moment that God says, you know what, I would like to thank you for vacuuming the carpet and being the security guard. I absolve you from the Great Commission ministry. You, you don't get absolved from that. Because we could get rid of our building, we could get rid of our pews, we could get rid of the greeters, we could get rid of the bulletins, we could get rid of the Sunday school classes, we could get rid of the kids' ministries, we could get rid of the... We, we, we could actually get rid of everything. And we could all just go meet somewhere, and we could pray, we could teach, we could preach, and we could disperse to the whole world. In fact, that sounds a little bit like the church at Jerusalem. Because I don't think they had buildings. I don't think they had ushers. I don't think they had greeters. I don't even think they had a piano player. I mean, maybe a harpsichord. I don't know what instrument they had back then. But all, all of those things are not bad and not wrong. Like, it's, it's, it's wonderful. You have a beautiful building here. What a great asset and a tool. But you, you understand this, this building can't actually physically do the Great Commission. Only these people that are right here. So now I wonder, I wonder how possible this Great Commission is. So let's think back to what that Great Commission is. Go ye therefore and teach who? All nations. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to? Every creature. I spent many years as a missionary. And, and, and you know what? We, we worked hard. I worked hard as a missionary. Um, I, we planted churches. We preached in 178, our team, not me alone, but we preached in 178 high schools. We gave a Bible to every 300,000 students in schools. We took teams of creation scientists. I preached in the legal fraternity. I preached in the foreign affairs department. I mean, anywhere I could get my hands on anything. We went to Nauru, we went to Tuvalu. 
But in all the work we did, there's something that always just sat at the back of my brain. How come so much of the world is unreached? I wonder if God, uh, if you're in the corporate world, when you, when you put a vision statement, your, your vision statement is supposed to be something you aim for that you can never reach. Like that's what you do. Um, because if you can never reach it, you're always still aiming for it. Right? So that's, that's when you, a good corporate vision statement is one that will always drive your organization. And then your mission statement is, what steps are you going to take to get it done? And uh, one, one of our churches in Fiji, we, we had this vision statement, and we based it on the vision that God gave, the Great Commission. So our vision was that all mankind would be reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ through, through His gospel, something like that. And our mission statement was, we will do the Great Commission. I, I'm going to be honest with you, I never, ever expected to complete it. Like I thought, as long as that vision is one that we can never reach, then we'll always be pressing towards it. But I, I'm going to be honest with you, I never actually had an expectation that in my lifetime, somewhere I could sit around a coffee table with somebody else and say, you know what, isn't it wonderful? Every human being on earth has heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, that just never hit my head. I mean, it's, that's impossible. Right. When I left Fiji and came back to the United States of America and I pastored for about five years, I just, I was driven to forget everything I know about missions and just read the Bible. Like, I needed to read the Bible. And there, there's a few important things, and I'm going to unpack a lot of this um, this week and it seems like every time I preach this, I, I see things I didn't see before, and it's beautiful. But I want you to go to Colossians. These two verses in Colossians turned my world upside down in the most incredible way. Colossians chapter 1. Colossae is one of a few churches that Paul writes epistles to that are churches he had not personally established. I believe the church at Colossae was established while Paul was in Ephesus. Paul was in Ephesus. He had rented a room in the school of Tyrannus. And the Bible says there in that room, he disputed daily with those that would come to him. And he said he did it until all Asia heard the word of the Lord. Well, Colossae is right next to Laodicea. And we know that Laodicea is one of those seven churches written to in the book of Revelation. So Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae are all right next to each other. And there's a man by the name of Epaphras who Paul will say is a Colossian and was probably responsible for planting those three churches. So Paul leads Epaphras to the Lord. Epaphras goes back into Asia and Paul mentors him from a distance, which is a beautiful model. We'll get into that a little bit later. But he mentors him. And Paul writes to this Colossian church. Now, the, the wonderful scholars who spend enough time dating, what time things were written, say that Paul wrote to the Colossians about 30 to 32 years after Pentecost. 30 to 32 years after Pentecost. Pentecost. Why is Pentecost important? Because that was the day the promise of the Father was sent to endue them with power. And why were they given that power? Why was Holy Ghost power given to the church at Jerusalem? 
so that they could be witnesses where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and uttermost parts of the earth. 32 years later from that point, Paul wasn't even saved at that point, Paul writes this letter to the Colossians, and notice what he says. Verse 5. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. Let's pause there. You heard in the word of the truth, the gospel. Do you all understand that the gospel is something that you must hear? You can believe in God without the gospel. Your conscience reveals God. All the creation reveals God. Those are the two um, witnesses to God, conscience, and creation. Now, you, you can dig into that. That's a wonderful study. But conscience and creation can't reveal to you the nature of God, His personality. You can't learn that God had a son. You can't learn that He gave His life on the cross, that He shed His blood, was buried, and rose again the third day. The only way you can know the gospel is through preaching. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And why is it the power of God? Because there's power in the preaching of it. Amen. You see, how do you convert an atheist? How do you convert a Buddhist? How do you convert a Muslim? Did I say created? How do you convert? What would I say? I'm going to tell you something powerful. Teach the gospel. But I want to tell them how all their gods are wrong. Okay, you may get into that, but preach the gospel. There is power in the preaching of the gospel. It has power to convert the mind and heart of man. So the gospel is something that you hear. It's something that must be preached. By the way, if you're deaf, you can still hear the gospel. How do you hear the gospel if you're deaf? Through sign language. You can also hear the gospel through a gospel track. Because a gospel track is still preaching. It's still words. Right? It's the hearing of faith. Okay? So this word of the truth of the gospel, verse 6, which is come unto you as it is where? In where? Hmm. What does all the world mean? You know, I... I I'm assuming, I believe, I know, this is not a Calvinist church. Calvinism teaches that when God says all, that that's not what he means by all. But when it says that God is not willing that any perish, but that all should come to repentance, that the word all there actually means the limited few that God has chosen, all. He wants all of the chosen to come, right? All of the elect to come. But look, you, you don't have to modify anything that God says in the Scripture. Like, don't add anything. It'll help your doctrine a lot if you just let the words say what they mean. Amen. So he said, the gospel is coming to you as it is in all the world. So question, 32 years after Pentecost, had messengers of the gospel gone to all the world? I mean, I'm going to tell you, when I started reading that, I almost did the Calvinism thing. I wonder if he means all of the known world, all of the Roman world. Because you know that first, second, and third missionary journey of Paul took place in kind of this, this uh, Roman Empire type area. Is, that the all, is all the world they're referring to all the Roman world, or does it mean to all, does it mean all the world? 
And I decided I better not modify what God says. You just say, but what, what evidence do you have that the gospel went to all the world? Like, what evidence? I, I talked with a wonderful brother who's from Korea. And we were reading this verse together, he heard me preach it, and he said, brother, he said, the, on the Korean peninsula, nobody has recorded their history better than, than the, the Korean and the kingdoms that lived in that peninsula before. And he said, we have records that go even thousands of years before Christ. And even when Islam showed up, it's, it's recorded that some strange carpet-wearing people came through our area. But he said, there is no recorded mention of the gospel coming through. And, and, and we got to talking, how much evidence would we need to verify whether or not this statement is true? Right, because what is faith? Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Where does faith come from? Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That means if God said it, that's the evidence. The evidence that it happened is that God said it. Uh, humans aren't perfect at recording their history. They don't often see things the right way. Amen? The only evidence that we need for anything to be true is that God said it. That's why Peter got out of the boat to walk on water. because Jesus said, come. What is the evidence that you can walk on water? He said, come. That's the evidence. Now, he clarifies this further in verse number 23. And you'll have to forgive me starting in the middle of Paul's sentences. Otherwise, we would be here all night reading start to end of his sentence. Verse 23. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached. To who? Every creature which is under heaven. Isn't that what Mark said? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And what does Colossians say? The gospel that has come unto you has come into all the world and has been preached to every creature which is under heaven. Now, when I read that, I just I had to take a few days and just sit in my chair and stare at a wall. Saying, this is incredible. This is powerful. This means when God gave the Great Commission, He actually expected it to get done. How many of you parents give a command to your children with no real expectation of it being done? God's not that way. Do you think the Great Commission was a great suggestion? Go you therefore, if you feel led, and if you feel called, and go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, or is it a command, go ye? Okay, now... I want to ask you another question. Just a couple more minutes and we'll... You, when, you, when you come to America, you have to like abbreviate all your messages. If you go to Africa, it's so cool. Three, four hours, five hours. India, six, seven hours. I'll just be still sitting there. Okay. Is the gospel being preached to the whole world right now? No. One third of the world right now will live if nothing changes. And God may be doing things that we don't, I'm sure he's doing things we don't know about, so I, this is not definitive, but roughly one-third of the world will live and die and never hear the name Jesus. They'll never hear the gospel. Okay, one-third of the world, three billion people. Okay. Do you believe 
that they should all hear the gospel. Okay. Whose responsibility is it? Ah, what was that? Mine. Mine. You're, you're right, us. You're right, it's a we. But you've got you to take that right down to that is me. And I got people all the time going, I'm just wondering if God is calling me into missions. Like, where did we ever come up with that? Amen. You, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but it was the Catholic Church who developed the clergy laity. Do you know what the idea of the clergy laity was? That have, that's been an anti-Baptist doctrine all through the Dark Ages. The idea of clergy laity is that a certain small number of people within the church are ordained as ministers. And then what they do is they minister to the laity. And the laity, or the layman as we like to call it, receive ministry from the clergy. So that the ones responsible for ministry are clergy. The ones who receive ministry are laity. And unfortunately, we Baptists have picked it up. We even like call the people in our church who don't do anything, we call them laymen. I, so I don't mean do nothing, but I'm, I'm talking in, in the sense that, Pastor, you've been called, you've been ordained, we're going to pay you a salary so that you can do the work. And in fact, guys in Bible college, I used to hear them always say, I can't wait, out, wait to go out and I'm going to build a great work for God. Except that the job of the ordain Amen. was to equip the saints yes. to do the work of the ministry. Amen. That all this work is actually your work. If I could say it this way, maybe a couple different illustrations, maybe the pastors and the missionaries and the evangelists are coaches. How about we put it that way, coach? How many football games have you seen where the coach plays? He doesn't. Who does the playing? Like the, the players do. What's the job of the coach? The job of the coach is to help identify within his team who's got the right skills and gifting for the different positions. And it's not bad that you can't be a quarterback. Right? If you know what position you play in, what skill you have, you play it. But collectively, we're all playing the same game. So if, if the game that we've been called to is to evangelize the entire world, and if that is the responsibility of this church, and can I say it, it all started with one church. You realize in human history, there was a point at which there was one church on planet Earth. It was just the church at Jerusalem. And when that great commission was given to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, one little group of a few hundred people was responsible for about 300 million people on planet Earth. And they did it in 32 years. I give the church at Jerusalem 700 people to start with, just in my own math brain. 120 in the upper room. Jesus appeared to 500 brethren at once. So I said, let's give them a starting point of 700. Within a few, t within not too long, a couple of years, they were already up to several thousand. And within 32 years, they'd covered the entire world. So this is what my heart has always been with the church that we've been part of establishing is I will say to that church you are no less responsible for this great commission 
than any other church in the world. I say that in Fiji. I say that in India. I say that in Zambia. Every little church, I don't care if they're rural. I don't care if they're in a hut. It does not matter. A church is able to do the Great Commission, not because they originated in a wealthy or educated country. They can do the Great Commission because they've been authorized and they've been empowered by God to get the job done. Would it surprise you if I told you that Mexico, the independent Baptist churches in Mexico, are sending out more missionaries than the independent Baptist in America? Well, we're busy still taking mission trips to Mexico. I'm not against that because there's millions that still need the gospel there. But they're sending more missionaries around the world than we are. Did you know in 1950 there were zero independent Baptist churches in the Philippines? Zero. The end of World War II. Do you know how many there are today? 24,000 churches. How can you go from zero to 24,000 in 70 years? You know why? Because somehow in the Philippines, the, the, the missionaries that went in there convinced them that all of their job was to mass reproduce around the Philippines and around the world. I was in Dubai. Dubai. I had a I had an eight-hour layover, so if I get a layover in any country, I got to go hunting. Is there a church here? Is there believers here? Did you know that there are five Filipino missionaries from the Philippines having underground churches in Dubai, and they're supporting guys that are going up into Pakistan and other parts of the world? Did you know that there is more evangelism and church planting happen by converted Muslims in Syria, Iran, Iraq right now than probably is happening in the United States of America? You know, a good friend of mine over there, in 20 years they've planted churches all over the Middle East. Over 2,500 of their members have been killed in those 20 years. They smuggle Bibles on camels through the desert to get them into these different areas. I mean, these people have nothing. They're in war-torn countries. They are persecuted, and they are mass-producing. There, there are high-powered people in senior, I won't even name the country, but there, there are senior countries in the Islamic world where royal families have born-again believers who nobody in the kingdom knows they are Christians, but they're smuggling Bibles. And, and what do we do as independent Baptists here in the good old United States of America? Oh, hey, my five years of pastoring in America has done one thing for me. It's made me salute every pastor in the United States of America. I would rather be persecuted in a Muslim world. It doesn't hurt near as bad as the gossiping, whining, complaining, arrogant, armchair Christian telling the truth. So let's end tonight's message with this. If one little church in Jerusalem who did not have money, technology, modern modes of transportation or communication, no gospel tracts, no New Testaments, no mission boards, no prayer cards, no Bible college, no deputation, no furloughs, no missions conferences, no, none, none of those beautiful resources that we have at our fingertips today. If that little church of persecuted people could multiply around the world, can this church do the same? Now, what I'm going to unpack the the rest, uh, Thursday, Friday, and then Sunday, I'm going to unpack what God taught me over these last couple of years and what I am learning to implement. And I'm going to admit to you, 
I am learning some things now that I am implementing, and I'm sure that God is not done shaping my brain to understand this. I am a searcher right now because I want to fulfill this great commission. Jesus gave them the power, the authority to do it. He then promised his divine power ability to accomplish it. 32 years later makes a statement that the gospel has gone to the entire world. So we can see the command, we can see the promise of power, and we can see that there was a completion to it. And I even begun to touch all the other completion verses. Now, this was my question. What was their method? What was their mission's method? So what I would like to ask you to do is, first of all, this. Do you believe what we talked about tonight? Okay. So if the world is not being reached, whose fault is it? Right. Can we start there? Can we start humbly before God? And look, I'm sure that most of you here care about the world. I'm not going to suggest for a minute that you don't care, that you don't love. And in fact, there's all kinds of missionaries being supported by this church, and that money is coming from you, which means you care. And I bet you pray as well. Thank you. I am not rebuking you for the right and good that you are doing. But I'm saying the giving and the praying does not mean I can abdicate my personal role in this. And I'm wondering if this church family tonight could just say the billions of people in the world that have never heard the gospel that I have heard, I bear responsibility for that, personal. I bear personal responsibility for that. Could you recognize that God has commissioned you for the task and he's promised you power to do it? And with that in mind, would you tonight be willing to say, God, I have no idea what is entailed in actually doing it. But whatever it is, whatever you ask, I will say yes. And then would you ask God to open your heart Right. So over the next couple days, would you at least give this a good listen? Now, I may get done at the end of this week, and you may go, that guy is as nutty as a fruitcake. He is an absolute lunatic. And if that's the case, just let me move on down the road, right? <clears throat> but at least give this a fair hearing. Because this is what I believe. If this church adopts this mindset and agrees together, we're going to do whatever God lays on this church to do. Do you know what God in heaven does when he hears that from his children? He goes, I've got grace to dump on this church. 
the blessing, the power. Wouldn't it be wonderful to not just be normal, run-of-the-mill, average, I went to church until I died? Wouldn't you like God to lay his hand on this church and do something special and unique? He absolutely wants to. It's never that God doesn't want to use his church, but he also doesn't dwell in a church that doesn't pick up his commission the right way. So I'm going to pray for that, and then I'll just invite your pastor to lead the invitation how he'd like to. Father, thank you very much for tonight. Thank you for our moments together. Lord, I think 90% of what I've shared tonight is not even new at all. But perhaps, Father, you've helped us to frame it in such a way that each member of this church tonight must personally own it. May they never ever again be able to sit home at ease while the lost around the world have no witness and comfort themselves by saying it's just somebody else's job. Father, may you drive home personal responsibility for this commission. You are so powerful. Lord, you deserve the glory and honor of your gospel circling the world. You deserve to be glorified for that in our generation. Thank you for what you did in that first generation. But may it be done in our generation. And may this be the generation of ordinary believers, obedient to an extraordinary God. And may you receive the glory and honor that is due your name. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, and uh, I believe that the Lord would have us to respond. So in an attitude of prayer, you've already heard the invitation, but I'm going to find a place to pray. My heart is touched by this tonight, and I'd invite you to do the same. And if you just simply say to the Lord, I, I take responsibility, and I don't know what that looks like, but I take responsibility in whatever you say I'll do, I encourage you to come and pray. your prayer tonight would be to the Lord this is a lot and I'm going to continue to listen and Lord my heart is open
Father, thank you for leading us to this point tonight. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for working out the details for Brother Corey to come here. And Lord, you know uh, how you've not united our hearts uh, around these things, and you've taught me so much tonight. And Lord, certainly um, this seems, it seems beyond our ability, because it is. It's not beyond yours. And I, I just pray that you would help us as a congregation, Lord, to be open, to be hungry for more, to be hungry for your will. And Lord, to be hungry for your power to do it. So I, I pray that you would help your people, Lord, tonight. Help us to meditate on these things. Lord, that we'd not be dismissive, but that we'd meditate on these things and we give you the chance to continue to work in our hearts and to work in our church. Lord, we do not, we do not want to go another five years and not be personally, actively engaged in reaching this world in a noticeably greater God-sized way. So, Lord, would you just stir us? Would you awaken our hearts? Lord, I pray that what Paul told the Corinthians, that they were to awake to righteousness and sin not, because some have not the knowledge of the truth. Lord, I pray that you would awaken us. So thank you for this time together. Lord, hover over every heart tonight as we go home. And would you grip our minds with these truths as we go about our day tomorrow? And would you bring us back together? And uh, Lord, help us to be hungry. So we thank you for what you've done. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.